podcast with Dan and Scott. Hottest golf podcast, whether you like it or not. Fresh from back in the day when that's a put at the park. 7 a.m. PM special where they played after dark. From the birds to the focus to the losses and the win. Welcome podcast, patron to the show, lead the pen. Get busy golfing or get busy dying. Hottest golf podcast and the swing ain't lying. Welcome back, podcast patrons, to episode 167 of Leave the Pin Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan. Got a great guest on today, Grayson Blunt, a senior from Sam Houston State University, uh, literally just north of Houston, the great state of Texas. Grayson is our first ever collegiate golfer that we've had on that's currently playing collegiate golf. We get into the ins and outs of what it's like to be a Division One athlete, how he made the transition from high school to collegiate golf, the differences in high school and collegiate golf. Um, we talk a little bit about his U.S. AM appearance and qualification, in which he went on to beat Parker Cootie in one of the qualifying rounds. Uh, and if you don't know collegiate golf and you don't know amateur golf, it's an enormous win for him. So he's riding this incredible momentum streak. Um, we talk a little bit about his philosophy of the game, get into a tiny bit of tattoos and golf. And I think what will really stand out during this episode is the fact that Grayson is such a level-headed and intelligent college kid. Uh, I don't want to knock on any college kids, but after hearing from him, you're not going to believe that the kid is currently still in college, which is incredible. This is the first of quite a few episodes with Grayson. We have got a lot to talk about in the future, uh, and it's real nice and, and very cool for our listeners to kind of get an idea of what it's like to play top-level collegiate golf. Um, so within this episode as well, there's a giveaway from Eagles and Arrows. Now, under the new name, image, and likeness agreement that the NCAA uh, allowed for collegiate athletes to get paid and get sponsored. Grayson is a sponsor of Eagles and Arrows. And if you know us, and I think you do at this point in time, you know that we are also sponsored by Eagles and Arrows. So complete transparency there. Um, so what you're going to see on our Instagram account is a uh, little promotion, a little contest run in order to win some Eagles and Arrows gear. So the first thing up is going to be a Love Golf Live Life hat. And all you've got to do is tell us Grayson's home course for Sam Houston State University. Listen to the podcast. He'll drop that knowledge. We'll also put it on Instagram. Um, so go like it on Instagram. Subscribe, like, follow, do all that stuff. Tell your friends. Without any further ado, it's episode 167 of Leave the Pin Podcast with Grayson Blunt. Grayson, what's going on, my man? Nothing much. I just got back from practice, and uh, it was a hell of a practice day out here with this weather. But um... So listen, you're, you're you're coming from uh, from Sam Houston State University, correct? Yes. Southern Southern Texas. What about uh, what's that like an hour forty five above Houston, north of Houston? Yeah, it's about an hour and forty north of Houston, and about two and a half hours south of Dallas. We're right on. You can take forty five, and you'll run. You'll you'll miss it if you go too fast. Now. I'm getting prepped for a snowstorm here in the Northeast, which is kind of typical. Um, what's your weather down there like? Um, it's, it, yeah, it's not great right now. Um, to read you the current forecast, it's 35 degrees and misting. Um, 35 feels like 28 because it's blowing about 17 out of the uh, north. So... It was not a fun day out on the golf course. I mean, it was it was it was tough. We had to we had to grind it out, and but for not feeling your hands, it was, it was a heck of a day. But it's I mean, when you're out there, you're with seven other guys. It's kind of fun seeing them struggle too. So, so listen, give give me uh, give me a little background on you know kind of kind of who you are, why you're on the pod. Uh, what are you what are you doing in Sam Houston State right now? Well, uh, I was actually fortunate enough to receive a scholarship um, out of high school. My um, my high school coach actually went to St. Houston. He uh, he actually helped me get recruited. He knows the coach very well, Brent Kieschnick. And uh, he it was kind. Of, I didn't even really know what was going on, to be honest. I was just playing in high school tournaments. I never, I never actually, I never really won a whole lot of tournaments. I have, I mean, I think I have like thirty two second place crystal. 
um, trophies somewhere uh, from all the second, all the runner-up finishes, which is very nerve-wracking. But I think I only won three times in high school. I won the first event I ever played in, or second event I ever played in as a freshman. A little one-day, um, one-day tournament shot 74, one by one. It was a huge win for me. A little fourteen-year-old uh, freshman, and then uh, I won like a regional preview. And then, but our team was our team was solid my junior and senior year. We had um, we had an Arkansas commit, Damon Stratum. We had two um, McKillenan Community College commits, Holden and Hayes Hamilton. And then we cycled between three five mans that never really shot above seventy five. And my senior year, I was fortunate enough to get an offer to Sam Houston, and here we are kind of it's been four years never really it took me a while to find out like who I was and kind of figure out my game and um also some I mean when you go from one team to another team I never really had to fight for my spot in high school so I was always just kind of comfortable out there playing and then when it kind of came down to it oh I gotta go qualify and I gotta go post six eight ten under in four or five, six rounds of qualifying to even catch a spot to go to a, to go to an event was kind of nerve wracking in the beginning, but I ended up playing five tournaments my freshman year. And then the spring of my, my spring of my freshman year here at Sam, I broke my hand and ended up actually having to have surgery on it after eight months of treatment. So I missed spring semester, missed that. I missed that playoff season or the postseason there. So I miss conference regionals, all that good stuff. Um, so that was that was tough watching them go without me. And then uh, that some missed that whole summer because I I rehabbed it. It was good. I was ready to go. And then I went to go play um, the Sizzler Amateur in Arizona. And uh, we flew in a day, flew in two days early. Kind of explored Arizona. I was feeling good. Went out and played. Uh, Oh gosh, TPC stadium course, and I hit two iron on uh, on seventeen, the drivable hole, and I got it. I actually hit it up on the green, made three, ended up making a three, but I broke literally on that swing. I broke my hand again, and I could feel like I, I immediately I knew, and I like had like to, like same same spot and everything, same spot, same bone, oh, same everything. God. So it just it just rebroke after six months of not swinging a golf club. So, and I mean, it was one of those like immediate reactions. I hit it and I felt the same pain and I was with, my mom was with me and I, I put my club back in the cart. I sit down and we're driving down the fairway and I'm just like about to lose it. Cause I was out for six months during the semester. And then I'm, I'm out another two going into the summer and I'm finally able to play in August. And then it's like, I'm getting ready for the next fall semester. I'm ready to go. I'm playing good. And then I hit, I crush a two iron. Two iron is just my nemesis right now. So um, <laughs> crushed the two iron, broke my hand again. And I was out for another, I went and literally like four days later, I went in for surgery and had it clipped off. That bone just removed. So, which actually a funny story. A lot of baseball players get it too. The vibration of the bat, it tends to uh, break that bone kind of in the, so it was my left hand. So it was the bottom right corner, close to the, just below the pad, under your right side, on your palm, and um, they just go in, they clip it, and within within two weeks after my surgery, I was hitting wedges. You got so a bunch was, of you got a bunch of people bad. right now that are that are kind of feeling the palm of their hand, going, man, maybe I'd be a better golfer if I got that bone removed. Yeah, and what's <laughs> funny is whenever I was, I always played a draw, and or I actually always played a fade. What was this was the this was the big part is I would always play a fade. I was really good at holding it. Like my left hand was so strong and I could hold it off and just play a, a power fade. And uh ever since the surgery, I started hitting and my that part of my hand just went weak for I mean, it's still weaker than my right hand to this day, and it's been almost two and a half years. And uh I went from hitting a power fade to now hitting a um hitting like a five, ten yard draw. Just because, like, I get more right hand involved, I get more under it. I've had I had to switch from overlap or to interlock to overlap 
actually this season I just started doing that just because I lost I don't know just kind of inconsistent and it's it's actually kind of been a blessing kind of a savior that uh that happened to me now is what is what is that I mean that's kind of crazy honestly to to have such a dynamic change in ball flight that's got to kind of switch up the way that you play courses, uh, change the way that you see courses out there. How, how's that adjustment process? Um, it was actually really hard because like, I mean, you get really comfortable playing the same courses. I'll say like, Hey, the course we practiced on and, uh, qualified on all the time. Like I, I became super comfortable with those golf courses playing that fade. And then, I mean, I'm off for eight to 10 months, not seeing those golf courses. And I come back, I'm hitting balls and practicing. I'm not able to play yet, not able to get full up to speed. And then when I am, it's like, oh, boom, we got to go. We're, we're qualifying for a tournament next week. And I'm, I'm 100%, but I'm like, I haven't played a full round of golf. I mean, I've played nine holes here and there, like getting back into it. But like, I haven't traveled 30 minutes to go play a golf course in a competitive competitive round yet. And I show up on the first tee and I'm like thinking about it and I kind of feeling my way through it. And I'm like, this is a totally different golf course now. And I think that's kind of through my sophomore and junior year. I really, I, I don't want to say I struggled, but I mean, I averaged 74 um, with tournaments and qualifying, which I mean, in college 74 really isn't going to cut it. And uh, it was, it was, it was tough. I was, I was fighting, I was fighting myself cause I was still trying to play the fade, but then like I would, when I would stop trying to play the fade, I just naturally start to turn it over. And it took, it took kind of a, a long, a long talk with coach, a long talk with some teammates to be like, to kind of assess and look at my game and be like, figure out what I needed to do to learn, learn about, I think that's the biggest thing, learning about your game and learning your own strengths and, and then playing to them, not trying to do something that you're not comfortable with is doing something that you're not comfortable with is not, is it's, it's toxic when it comes to golf. So like about that time late in the season, my junior year, I, uh, I started kind of just, I was like, I, I stopped seeing instructors. I stopped seeing people that would told me how to swing the golf club. And I just kind of let my body take over. And we have, we have track, man, we have flight scope, all that stuff. And I was able to kind of keep myself in a, in a range where I wanted to be like club path and face to path and all that, all that good stuff. And growing up working at a golf course and working, fitting people and stuff like that, I knew i I've felt very knowledgeable about what I needed and I could literally go into any store and fit myself for any club. So like I was pretty much my own instructor and all I needed was the mental side. And that's kind of what I grew to adapt into is figuring out not so much how to physically better play better, but how to mentally play better. Well, and that that's where you really start to own your game right exactly. once once you know it and like you said i mean like what's crazy is i feel you know as as a a crappy amateur golfer who used to be like a semi-decent amateur golfer you know i feel like i always had that imposter syndrome out there at times like if i was chasing distance or anything and i've got a real weird quirky swing and people be like wow i don't even know how you hit the ball like that dude or you know in 20 years you're not going to be as flexible well like here i am 20 years later i still am you know and it took me so long to get comfortable in my own skin out there and so i can only imagine it at your level like at the division one level where you're a a counting scoring member of the team you know how difficult that is and i think that's one of the biggest kind of things that that people miss with college athletes right is they just they think like well these kids are great at their sport you know they're all going to go on to that next level and they don't realize the mental aspect that goes into collegiate sports specifically collegiate golf i think that's the i think it goes for i think the same mindset should be taken into any any sport really is maybe whether you're pole vaulting or whether you're trying to hit a 300 yard drive down the fairway like you have to know mentally 
what you're capable of, capable of, what what you what you can do and what you should do. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing is what you can do and what you should do should be the same. Right. Don't be something you're not. Don't be something that you're not. And so that was the biggest thing that I had to learn was, okay, my strength is my ball striking. How do I optimize my ball striking every round to give myself the most opportunities? And figuring that out my junior year, I look back, I'm like, if I, if I knew how to optimize my ball striking as a freshman, where, where, where would I be now? Right. And so yeah, it's always the, the glass is always like, like, you know, 2020 vision looking backwards exactly. all the time. Hindsight size 2020. If I had the information I had now in high school, where would I be now? Not saying I wouldn't want to be here. Obviously that's not, not what I'm saying, but like, I would just, I would want, I would want that knowledge. Yeah. But so I'm, let's, let's I, talk, I'm, let's, let's talk about that shift from, from high school to college, because, you know, like I know we have a lot of, you know, we have a lot of old, I don't want to say older listeners, you know, like our demographic is like 18 to 40, which is like your typical male demo. But we've got a lot of high school kids that listen. My son being one of them is a you know, pretty decent high school golfer. Um, you know, you, you, you talked about playing at a high school in, in Kingwood, right? Kingwood, Texas. Yep. Kingwood, um, Kingwood High. Yep, just outside of Houston. So, you know, what, what I'm assuming is being a Northeast guy, like I'm assuming, okay, you know, Texas is a hotbed of golf. California is a hotbed of golf. Uh, you know, the Carolinas, Florida, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so you had to have come from a, a really kind of decent high school program. What's it like making that transition to, you know, specifically Division One golf? Is it an enormous difference? Is it is it just a difference in the yardages, the competition? Talk a little bit about that. Um. Not so much yardages or like how the golf course plays. It's it's all it all comes down to how you play. So the and it, it all comes it literally all comes down to knowledge and it all comes down to kind of maturity on the golf course. So you you can have a guy. I, I mean, you still see it in college. Like you go out and you shoot at a. I mean, you got a tucked left flag with a seven iron in your hand high schooler you're like all you're looking at you're looking at the flag and you're looking at making birdie you're thinking how do i make a birdie what's my best way to make a birdie or if maybe you're not to that level what's the where where do i make a par or where do i make how do i not make double on this hole you know it's it's the same mindset and you just fit the different puzzle pieces into it so when you look at it for us going in high school it was i got I got 280. Okay. I, I mean, I could, my senior year, my, my freshman year actually in high school, I hit it nowhere. I mean, I was 5'8, heavy set, 230 for my, I mean, 14 being 200 plus pounds was extraordinary. And um, I hit it nowhere. And I, I could, I, I knew how to play. I knew I could, I could finesse hybrids in there. I could finesse three woods in there from 210, 220. And then now coming by the time I got to high school, I mean, I was hitting three wood 280 on the fly and off the ground, not even off the tee. And it became like, oh, I got 275 water left pins right center of the green. I'm going right at the flag with a three wood. And why like looking at that now, I got 275 to the whole water left. I'm like, OK, my the where I want to be to leave myself to make a four, to make a birdie. I'm not trying to make eagle. If I make eagle, great. If I don't, I want to be chipping or I want to be putting a 40-footer and having to make a three-footer for, for birdie. Like, that's my best opportunity to be under par. I think that was, that's the biggest transition from high school to, to college. So it's it, the course management aspect. It's the course management it. side. Yeah. And I feel like I always had the ball striking, but getting through – the the course management side is where you turn a you turn your 74 that you shot that day you just course manage a little bit better and you shoot 69 70 and and that goes for everybody that goes for that goes for a 10 handicapper okay you got to i mean i can go through lists of scenarios i mean we we contract caddy at what used to be 
um, the number one course in Texas was uh, Whispering Pines. Now it's Blue Jack, which is the number one in Texas. Um, Tiger Woods design little throw in there. Um, yeah, the go. the Augusta. Well, yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> the Augusta inspired makes has which, which is great. I love that. But we we caddy. We called when they need caddies. We're the ones they call, and we just we are not on payroll. We just get paid straight tips from what the the guys give us, and it's it's honestly it's great. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Honestly, is meeting people and um, but seeing some of the decisions that they make, I'm like, I mean, the course is hard. I mean, they got undulated greens, tucked pins, and these guys are trying to hit six irons at the flag to a green they can't hold. And I'm like, hey, why don't you hit like seven iron, short right of the hole? Maybe it feeds down there, and we got a ten footer. And I mean, I've I've had six, exactly six people after I get done caddying, they've come up shaking my hand and they've said, "You just made me shoot my career best round." Yeah, it's you know, it's 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 so mind blowing when like the golf ego gets in the way, right? Exactly. Like Grayson, why would I hit a seven iron? That's not gonna get me there. Six iron is my distance for you know, whatever, one fifty five, let's say, for these guys. Yeah. And you're like, all right, dude, but you hit six iron ten feet off the ground and you've hit one out of ten good. Dude, yeah. trust me, I coach high school golf and I see it all the time. Kids are like, Coach. I'm hitting a wedge in. I'm like, you should hit seven iron. Like your wedge yeah. is never gonna get there unless you thin it and it hits the car path. Yeah. No, I yeah, it's 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 mind blowing sometimes. It's, it's honestly it, it is. It's it's crazy to to think, like even even my. I mean, I I talk to my dad about it all the time because he he'll be like, I can still hit seven iron one sixty. I'm like, Dad, you haven't swung a club in eight months. Like, right, and you hit what you hit it once. You hit, you hit. Okay, I I always make these comments. I'm like, if I'm if I'm playing around and I got 235 to a pin that's in the back, I'm like, okay, I'm hitting, and I got 215 to the front. I know if I smash a, I'm if I hit a full iron, it's flying too far into the green and it's going to go over the back. But five iron may not get to the front. I always tell people this. I'm like, I need one of those like one in five, five irons that I hit like 220 in the air. Right. right. And that's kind of how it is when you go to, when you, when you like say I'm caddying for this guy, I'm like, okay, you're going to hit two out of 10, seven irons where I want you to, whether you're, uh, or three out of 10, four out of 10, seven irons where I want you to, instead of one out of 10, six irons that are going to be perfect. So it's like, and then they come up to me after they're like, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for showing me that. And I'm like, I tell it to everybody. I have people like our trainer, our athletic trainers, when they when they work out or when we work out with them, they're talking about, I mean, I went out and shot 99 or I went out and shot 108 the other day. They're like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't break 100. I'm like, you can, you just have the wrong mindset when you do it. You just have the wrong, you have the wrong outlook. And it's like, if I had that knowledge when I was in high school, it would be it would be a completely different game, and yeah, game, game it would change. be it would be so much more fun to like to not look at results, and that's what we preach here too: is take results completely out of the picture. And we we dive so far into you're 110 yards to a tuck flag. Yeah, you got 56 degree. We're hitting. We don't hit full wedges. None of us here. We've we have a clock system. So like we have a nine o'clock, a ten o'clock, and eleven o'clock with our, sure, sure. our left arm, and none of the when if you get up to twelve, you're hitting a wedge too hard. The ball's going too high. There's too many variables that can affect that golf ball to where it's not going to go where you want it to go. And it's when you have, say, you have 110 yards. I'm hitting a I'm hitting a ten o'clock, fifty six degree to a green that has a almost a little bowl action. I'm like, okay, I'm aiming 15, 20 feet right of this hole with maybe a little backspin and some draw spin on it. And it's going to hit on the ridge. And the green is literally going to give me an eight footer for birdie. 
I don't have to fly it on the flag. I don't have to fly it past and spin it. I don't have to do anything super crazy to give myself just an opportunity. I will take I will take five ten footers in a row. Like I'll take five ten footers for birdie over me hitting that wedge to a foot one out of five times. Oh, sure. And I think if you break it down like that, anyone that plays the game of golf would, would gonna, say the same thing. They're going to score better. Yeah, but the problem is, like, that's not sexy. Like, exactly. stuffing, it, stuffing it to six inches and, it, and it's, give, give me a sexy. It's the ego booster. Of course, of and, course. But then when you look at it at the end, everybody's chasing the ego booster, and then they look at their score, and it kills their ego. Yeah, but but they talk about the one shot they hit. Exactly. Yeah. So this, let me let me ask you this, you know, because we ch- we chat a little bit off air about this. Um, yeah, I wrestled in college as well. You know, same level, Division One, yada yada yada. And you know, that's that's what. Gosh, it's 20, 20 plus years ago now, and the the life of a of a student athlete has changed dramatically. I mean, astronomically. Um, now I've talked to a bunch of pros, mini tour pros, you know, top USM qualified, you name it, on this podcast. But you are first Division One top tier NCAA collegiate athlete that's currently a collegiate athlete that we've had on the pod. So I want you to talk a little bit and, and give people an idea of what a day in the life is for you on the golf team. Because I think a lot of people, if if given a chance to go back in history, right, and, and play any sport in, in college. I think a lot of people would probably choose golf, and I'm sure you guys are the envy of professors on campus, you know, older people on campus that work there because, you know, let's be honest, what does everyone gravitate to when they get older? They gravitate towards golf. Exactly. And you guys are you guys are doing it at a level that these people can only – all of us can only kind of dream of. So give us a little bit of, you know, day in the life of, of Grayson as a Division One golfer. Okay. Um, this week's been a little different because I've been struggling with an injury, and we'll, I'll get into that here in a minute. But a normal day, uh, we'll start. I'll start. Actually, I'll do a week because every day is different, but each every week is the same. If that makes sense. Yeah. So, now, are, are the weeks scheduled out for you guys? You have kind of a block plan. Of, yeah, we do. We kind of okay. have a block, kind of what we're doing that week, what times we're doing it at. And I mean, obviously it's all scheduled, like subject to change, but we all like he'll, our coach, he sends it out at, on Sundays and it's, or Saturdays. Hey, we're doing this Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Here's the times of practice. Here's the times for workouts, whatever. But so everything is kind of laid out for us and we build our schedule, our personal schedules around that. So no surprises. So so exactly. So there's no surprises. Gotcha. And so like, I mean, Monday Mondays consist of, um, we have a seven a.m. It's actually for me, it's about a six a.m. wake up call, um, and we have a seven a.m. conditioning workout, and that conditioning workout ranges from twelve one hundred yard gassers on the football field. Um, that takes about 25, I mean, and the workout's only 25, 30 minutes. And it's just literally just to raise your heart rate, get you in, like get you in better cardio shape. And they're super beneficial, especially on those 36 hole days. You can't be getting to the 28th, 29th, 30th hole. And you're like, man, I am tired. So like you do on Mondays with 7am is our starting um, we'll do rowing, we'll do running, we'll do bike, uh, assault bike, which is, um, like the fan bikes. Yep. Yep. And, yeah. The aerodyne bikes. Uh, yeah, exactly. And we'll, so that's about seven to seven forty. And this is in season two. Yeah. This is in season. So okay. we have, we have out of season schedules and we have in season schedules. So in season schedules, we have 20 hours to work with during the week. So in this, so everything that's scheduled that he sends out fills that 20 hours. Okay, and that's NCAA mandate, that correct? NCAA for those twenty, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, which, this, which we we know with some of the bigger sports is absolute BS because they're getting 40, 50 hours in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because it's quote unquote optional. Correct. Yeah, or captain's practices or what? Exactly. <laughs> yep. And so, um, 
seven or seven a.m. start. Um, we're done by seven forty, eight o'clock at the latest. Normally, I'll try and get in a little extra work, whether it's beforehand or after, because um, I don't have class. I start class at nine. I go nine to nine fifty, and then I go ten to ten fifty. That's uh, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Those are my class times. So every day, pretty much, I'm out at eleven, and from there. It is so think about this. So I have to figure out, okay, 740 is when I get done. Eight o'clock is when I get done. I gotta leave to go to class at 840. So I got 40 minutes to go home, shower, change, eat, pack up what I need for the day, and then go to class. And it is it takes every bit of 40 minutes. Now, real quick, how far are you traveling from your practice facility? to where you're staying you the course to where you're staying and then like the the weight training weight room facilities conditioning facilities the weight how, room for, how, how close is everything um everybody everything here i mean it's a pretty small campus so like i can it's like i can get to the workout facility in about two minutes so if i'm pushing it for time i know that i can get in my truck and haul a little ass and get there in about two minutes Okay, gotcha. And because it's, I turn left out of my apartment complex, I go up about half a mile, turn right at the stop sign, and it's about 300 yards down on my right. So it's not that bad going to workouts, but going to class is the tricky part because I got to leave 20 minutes early to be able to find a parking spot. And then it's a 10 minute walk from the closest parking lot to my class. So I give myself 10 minutes to park and then about 10 to walk to class. And I'm normally walking into class right at nine o'clock if everything goes smooth, uh, smoothly. Yeah. Now you, you were saying how your coach is kind of a by the book type guy, you know, a older generation strict guy. Do you have any mandates of where you sit in class? Because our coach mandated that we were all, every wrestler was always sitting in the front row and he would walk by the classrooms. And if we weren't there, I'm telling you, there was hell to pay at practice later that day. It's kind of, we had to take a class my freshman year. Um, it's actually run by Chris Thompson, who's one of the greatest people who have ever been in my life. She, um, her husband actually is our um, volunteer assistant. He played PGA Tour. He went through Q School three times, went through Champions Tour Q School twice. He's played in U.S. Opens. He's amazing for us. And she is, she's the mom. She is all, she's all the athlete's mom. She runs this class. Every freshman has every freshman athlete has to take it, and it's it's pretty much a time management course. Okay. And it's and it's, it's at eight a.m. That she makes you come to it. If you miss it, your your coach will find out about it. <laughs> and, yep. Because she's the associate athletic director, so she runs everything that runs. I mean, if it if it concerns us, it concerns her. So, um. And she put that into effect. If you're not sitting first or second row, there's a problem. One, because you, if you're not sitting first or second row, you're not engaged with your professor. Two, you're not engaged in the class. And three, uh, you're kind of just floating. You're not being, you're not engaged. You're not being a good student athlete. And, and yeah, I mean, I sit, I walk in, I have to walk through the, I mean, say I walk in two minutes late, I got to walk through the entire class and sit. I sit right in front of my professor's podium in both of my classes. Yep. So they know me yep. by name. They know my face. They know what sport I play. I mean, we have to disclose all of that beforehand anyways in the first week. Hey, I, we have to give them a sheet of paper. They have to sign it that I'll be missing these days. Like it's poten uh, There's potential that I will be missing these days of class. We have to take tests early. We have to do assignments early. Just because we've disclosed that information doesn't give you a, oh, I missed that test because I was at a sporting event. Like, you could kind of got away with that in high school. But here it's, I mean, professors are no joke. I mean, it is, you miss that test, man. Good luck on the next one. Now, I know with obviously some bigger schools, some bigger sport programs, they'll travel with tutors and stuff. You guys are gone for, you know, depending on where tournaments are for a good chunk of time, you know, at, at a given time. Um, what's that like and how hard is it to kind of settle into academic life, but also have to balance this 
competitive sport and not only competitive sport, but, but the travel that goes into it as well. Um, it is, it's, it's, it's a juggling act almost. Um, the travel, it just, it just depends really like later in the season, especially for conference and regionals and the national championship, each those three in order, you're gone for longer periods of time. Luckily, the national championship is the week after finals week, so we don't have to worry about any school over there, which is a blessing. Um, but regionals is the week before finals week, so it's you're stressing with regionals, trying to make it through. You're stressing with finals. You're stressing with stressing with everything. And spring break is midterms, and we go back to back to back weeks. The week before spring break, the week of spring break, and the week after spring break, we're gone. So I may miss those midterms, but I may have to take them in the three or four days that we get where we're not traveling beforehand. So like a normal a normal travel week is we leave. So say we always play Monday, Tuesdays, um, or even Sunday, Monday, Tuesdays. So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday tournament is normally 18, 18, 18. And we'll leave Friday, depending on where it is. So say, I think our next 18, 18, 18 is, uh, I think it's Golf Club of Houston or either Golf Club of Houston or Lafayette, Louisiana, where we'll go, we'll drive Friday morning at 6 a.m. We'll drive there, we'll get to the course. And this is where we had a, we had a big kind of come to Jesus meeting last year about wearing ourselves out before tournaments, playing playing golf when we got there, playing another day, and then playing the 18-0 practice round, and then playing 36, or then playing, or then playing 18, 18, 18. I mean, that's like six days of straight golf. Yeah, I don't care how much you love the game. I mean, look, I love the game, but, you know, I hate to say it because people will be like, I thought you were a golfaholic, but three days in a row, and I'm like, yo, I need a break from yeah. this, you know? And I've, that's also, I mean, I say I, I use the term as I've gotten older, but I think it's more appropriate if I say as I've matured through my career, I know when it, when to take a break and when to, when to rest. And that was kind of our whole talk was when we get to events, yeah, say we, we have that day where we travel in, let's play nine holes. Okay. And we play, say we play the front nine. And then we work with the the host school, whoever's hosting that event. We're like, hey, we're going to squeeze in. We're only going to play the back nine during the practice run day because we've we've traveled and then we've grinded that nine holes in our practice round. We've made that our first nine hole practice round. And then the next day we'll, we'll sleep in. We'll get good food. We'll go to the course. We'll practice. We squeeze in and play the back nine. We'll play. In th- yeah, we play a three. I mean, all five or six of us, whoever's traveling. We'll play a three-hour nine holes just because we're grinding. We're getting lines off the tee, figuring out where we want to hit it, give ourselves the best opportunities, and turns out. And But then it goes, instead of six hours of straight mental focus on that, it goes to block to two and a half to three hours each day. And then you turn around, and it's like, oh, I'm not mentally exhausted going into this 36-hole day the next day. Right. You break but, it up into digestible pieces. Exactly. Yeah. So we've kind of branched off of the the uh, daily day in the life thing, but kind of into the travel. But normally once I get out of class, it goes from I normally I get food and I'm like, why well, I'm not going to go sit on my butt and do nothing. I'll, I'll go to the course at like 11. And then that's kind of how it was today. I got to what, the what, course, what, what courses that you guys play at. Uh, we our, our practice facility is at um, formerly Raven Ness, probably more known as Raven Ness, but now they've changed it to uh, Bearcat Course in Huntsville. Um, our that's just where our facility is. The course is actually coming up. Um, it's, it was kind of hit a slump where it wasn't really that good. Um, the greens are actually coming back, and they're actually starting. It's getting be, to become playable. I mean, it's a public golf course. So, I mean, there's not much we can really ask about it, but it's not like it's not like blessings or Arkansas. It's not like we're not 
strolling up to Bentwater or to uh, Bentgrass Fairways and um, Bentgrass Greens. Where I mean, we're chipping off of wet Bermuda and crabgrass in some of the greens. So we're having to. So also that goes into the the mental side is playing with adversity and playing with stuff that you can't control and learning to let go of the things you can't control. Maybe you'll get a bad bounce. Maybe it goes in, goes in a depression in the fairway and there's nothing you can do about it. You just got to suck it up and play through it. Let me, let me get your take on this. Cause that's interesting. A, a, a public course, you know, for a division one teams home course. So we, we play in a league here um, in Pennsylvania, the EPC, the Eastern Pennsylvania Conference, where we've got an enormous dichotomy between kind of the, the haves and the have-nots. You know, there, there are some teams that play at ultra-private courses that the rules are so archaic that kids can't even use push carts. You know what I mean? Like they yeah. must carry the bag. Um, and then, it, then we, we play at, you know, par 68, 5,900-yard uh, uh, dog tracks. Um, yeah. so, so let me get your, your thought on this because I've always tried to tell our high school kids and like my son specifically, who, who's had the opportunity to play top tier courses and, you know, local goat track munis. I personally feel that it's almost more of a home course advantage playing on a muni. And, and my reasoning behind that is the fact that kids that are used to completely great um, conditions, beautiful greens where the putts hold their lines, you never get quote-unquote a bad bounce because everything's in its place and where it should be, come to these courses and first off, visually, they're kind of intimidated. Not, I don't, I'm not intimidated, but visually they're thrown off, right? Because, wow, this, doesn't, this is not as nice as our place. Like, oh, yeah. I can probably just, I can probably just you know, scrape it around here and shoot 65 today. Yeah. And then they get a little adversity. Maybe they hit a dry patch. They hit some bank, uh, some crabgrass, like you mentioned. Some, some, you know, we have Bermuda up here, but a real sloppy patch of Bermuda or something like yes. that. And and they're thrown off. Do you do you feel that way too? Like do you what? Do you host teams as well, or is everything's just big tournaments? Like do you ever have home matches at yeah, your? We course? do. Uh, um, we we're blessed to have. I can probably count. One, two, three, four, five. I mean, 10 courses, 10, 12 courses within 40 minutes of us. And like I said, our facility is out at Bearcat course, but we hardly, we hardly play like any rounds there. We'll go out and we'll hit wedges. We'll go convert, which is a big thing that we've implemented is inside 150. We'll, we'll go out and we'll just go practice. We'll take a cart and he's like, throw what we got. We'll compete. Whoever has the, the lowest, um, Lowest round gets sleeves of balls or gets to order something out of the catalog online. It's there within two weeks. So, but yeah, um, we're, we're fortunate enough to have 10, 12 courses within driving dis relative close driving distance that range from, I mean, whispering pines, which is like number three in Texas right now where it, they don't, even, I mean, like you said, they don't even let us hit golf balls on the range because it'll create too much traffic. Right. And it'll it'll I mean, and they they've just now released it to where if we wanted to come out on Sundays and use the chipping green and the putting greens, we could. And that's never happened. So like I, I we host at um, Bentwater, which is a really good um, it's a really good course down in Conroe. Um, they have two. They have a Miller, uh, a, a Miller course and a Weisskopf course. We host on the Miller course and it's. It's good. I mean, I would say it's typically from other courses that I've played, it's above average what I've played in college. And uh, we're fortunate enough to have that. And then we host at Walden on Lake Conroe and Walden on Lake Conroe. We have a saying at Walden on Lake Conroe and you get a bad bounce, you get in a little patchy spot in the grass or you something happens. We just we just look at each other. And we're like, welcome to Walden. I mean, it's it's just Walden. We've told we've told other teams that while playing with them. And when they're complaining to us about the course, we're like, well, just welcome to Walden. Get used to it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, don't let it. I mean, that that's the thing. It's like it eats away at these kids and, and you can't they're, yeah, they're they're lost by the third hole. You know, like exactly. their round is done because something unfair happened to them on the golf course. They're they're worried about things that they can't control. And yeah, that's that's the I mean, that is the toxicity when it comes to 
um, like the mental side is don't beat yourself up over things you can't control. And that's one of the things that kind of that's uh, that plays into our advantage when we do go to really nice courses. Oh, 100%. Like when we go to like we played an event in Colorado my freshman year and it was like, dude, I don't I haven't hit balls. I've hit balls off this tight of fairways before. And especially when I went to Oakmont, I was, oh my gosh, I was looking around. I was like, I've never seen a course this nice. I've never walked. I mean, I, I went to Augusta when I was 12. I can barely remember walking the, the course. I mean, I remember it like it's yesterday, but like, I can't tell you, I can't tell you like how the grass like felt when I was stepping on it. Now I look at it and I, I'm able to appreciate the, the the greatness of golf courses that we're able to go play and fortunate enough to go play when we do have that opportunity. But I, 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 I think it completely plays into our advantage because it, it teaches us to let go of things we're not able to control and just work a little harder on the next, next shot. Yeah. That's a great thing. Hey, I, I want to talk about uh, kind of the NIL, the name image likeness uh, that, that happened and we'll give people an idea what that is. Uh, but this is this is kind of a first. We can interrupt and do an Eagles and Arrows ad because you, as a collegiate athlete, can be sponsored by a brand now with the the new NIL. So tell me real quick how you got involved with Grant at Eagles and Arrows. Um, I actually reached out to him. I, I've his Eagles and Arrows kept popping up on my Instagram feed, and I was like, man, I was like. I, I, right when it came out, I was uh, kind of the whole craze of everybody like everybody reaching out to companies like, hey, we're able to accept now. Is there anything you can do for me? And especially in college, like I wouldn't say that I'm I'm not very I can't go out and buy what I want to buy when I when I want to buy it. And so like when it comes to any help that I can get, whether it's um boxes of balls, whether it's hats, whether it's shirts, whether it's pants, whether it's anything that helps, like I am, I'll do anything. And when I saw it, I was like, that's a perfect opportunity. And now having this relationship with Grant is, is probably one of the greatest things that's um, brought, been brought into my life is the, the, the bandwidth of, material that i'm able to now promote tell people about and also spread the story of like hey this is what i'm able to do this is what i want to do um and just it just it just honestly it makes you feel good as a person like i feel i feel good every day walking out of the house wearing an eagles and arrows hat when somebody's like hey what's that hat i i am so excited to just dive into them about eagles and arrows and tell them the story and tell them everything about it. And the next thing you know that I see like one of my buddies, I told him about it. And next thing you know, he's, he's got two hats. And I'm yeah, like, no, I, I, I love that. I, I hear it completely. I, you know, you've got your Sam Houston state one on that, that he kind of custom made and they, you know, grants go in the way of making custom made hats. Uh, he made me a awesome St. Louis Cardinals one because we're enormous Cardinals fan. And, my youngest son is a big Ole Miss baseball fan, made him one of those. And then my oldest son, Lai, who, who you know plays competitive golf in high school, uh, a bunch of hats for him. So, yeah, it's just – it's so cool and is such a great guy. And I know he's got just such big, big plans. And when he told me about you, he's like, hey, I got this this college kid. He's like, I think you're really going to like him. He's even got a tattoo. And I was like, yeah, let's go. You know? Yeah. Was all uh, all pumped. So what we're gonna do is this: we're gonna run a giveaway. Got a bunch of hats that Grant gave us uh, to give away through the pod. We've never done it like this before. So I'm gonna ask three questions. Um, okay. One I've already asked. Uh, so the answer is somewhere within the pod already. But I've got to ask you. I'm not gonna get into the meaning of the tattoo because honestly, you and I are gonna do a tattoo and golf episode in the very near future. Uh, but where is your tattoo located? Uh, it's on my left forearm, outside left forearm. Um, yeah, very, very visible, very visible when I look down at the golf club and it's, I'm staring at it. So 
So that's that's going to be the answer to one question. And what we'll do is we'll post this on Instagram and you know leave it up on the story for 24 hours and leave that little box. And you send me the answer to the question, and then we'll randomize, and someone will get one of the three hats. Uh, so like I said, one of those other questions already in the pod somewhere else. And we're probably not going to have time to talk about this today. But again, we've got just a lot to cover uh, with you in the future, Grayson. So I'm going to ask you this, see if you can remember, because I have the the number here. Do you remember what you scored in the USM qualifier to qualify for the USM? Um, a two-day total. I, I know the two-day total was, I mean, my quick maths aren't, aren't that great. 67-65, I'm pretty sure, or 68-65, something like that. Yeah, 68-65, 133. 133, yes. Very nice. And, you know, funny enough, and I, I, I'm sure, you know, I don't know if you knew going in or once the results happened, but, you know, you beat Parker Cootie, who is an enormous, uh, enormously good am golfer out of the University of Texas. Uh, I mean, that's that's an enormous... That's an enormous win right there, winning the it qualifier. Was, it was big, yeah. Um, and honestly, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell a quick story when I at from the qualifier, and kind of leading up to the qualifier. Um, it was my first ever actually attempt to qualify for the USAM. I, I never, I never qualify. I never tried to qualify for a USAM. I tried to qualify for a, a US Junior Am and was an alternate. Ended up going to Baltusrol and having. Um, a time of time of my life really in Jersey. I never played, but um, got to practice there. Got to play there. Played a few courses in Jersey. It was it was fun. Good family trip, really. Kind of what it yeah, turned dope, into. Yeah, dope, dope, dope course at yeah. Balthasar. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I actually be out there doing uh, some media for the APGA event in uh, late August this year back at Balthasar. But um, but yeah, leading up to that, I was I was like, I'm super. I, I mean, it was it was one of those I, July nineteenth. I remember start of July. I'm like, this is this is it. I'm I'm doing it. I'm doing whatever I have to do. And I just remember that week before um, the the head pro out at the at Bearcat course came up to me where I was hitting in the facility, and I had him look at my swing. I'm like, does do you see anything? Because he's a scrappy golfer. He knows what it does. He kind of he knows me very well. Knows what I like. And he's like, dude, you're swinging it absolutely amazing right now. He's like, carry that into next in the next two weeks. And that was kind of the big thing that I took was like, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm swinging it good. I'm hitting it good. There's, I'm my, the ceiling is non-existent. And going into that week, I just, I had two buddies that played with me. I had my cousin on the bag caddying for me, which was awesome. I, he, he's kind of in the um, same scenario as your son. I mean, he's kind of wanting to learn from me. Um, and he got to he got to be right there with me on one of the greatest greatest moments in my golf career is like we ended up having a rain delay. This is the story I was about to do. We I shoot 68 in the first round. I come in. I'm like, OK, I'm in I'm in a good spot. I'm four under. The lead was, I think, at seven. I think somebody shot seven under in the first round. And I'm like, I'm not I'm not that far off. Like I just pieced together, maybe shoot four or five under in the next round. Uh, I'm I'm my chances are very high. And we actually had um, a rain delay with five holes to go. We came in and we, I was kind of asking around what was everybody at. I was at, I was at seven under and uh, I think the lead Parker was at Parker was at 10 and I was like, and he was leading and he had like two holes left and I was like, okay, this is, or no, he had like a wedge shot on 18 and I was like, I can do this. And uh, I told my cousin, I was like, you ready to go? You ready to go steal this? And I overheard, this is what this what actually pissed me off and gave me more motivation. I actually heard one of the, the rules officials say to Parker, while I was standing right there next to him, he says, um, we might not be able to get out, finish there today with the daylight. He's like, but he's like, we have to, we'll get you, we'll get you out. You can hit your wedge, you can finish on 18. And then uh, we can give you the – he's like, you can take the medal and go. Wow. And I was like, no shot. I just heard that right now. Putting the, putting the crown on his head. Yeah. And I'm like – and that you can imagine how that just 
it flew all over me. I want and and I wanted to ruin I wanted to ruin his day. Like I I love him. I played high school golf against him. He played uh, I can't even think of where he played high school, but I didn't even know who they were my senior year. I remember walking down. It was like the last hole of the tournament, my state championship. I'm like, where are you going to college to play golf? He's like, uh, Texas. And I'm like, oh, cool. And I didn't know his grandfather was a master's champion. And none of that. I, so I was so naive, and I, I just didn't care. Not that I didn't care, like, in an arrogant way. I just – it didn't phase me. And knowing that and – um. It's not like I have anything against the guy. I just I really wanted to beat him that day. And after hearing that, I really wanted to beat him even more. And so I go out and the 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 strategy on the hole that I was about to play was to hit six iron, five iron off the tee, hit a wedge on the green, try to make a three. And it was a dog leg over OB. And I was like, I turned to my my cousin whose name's Stone. I was like, Stone, I'm hitting, I'm driving, I'm hitting on the green. Like I have to, um, I turn on, I just turn on one and I send it and I have like a 40 footer for Eagle. And that's actually when they blew the horn again, we waited another 30 minutes and then it was all clear. We had like an hour of left of daylight and I get out, I get down there and wait. The kid tried to hit driver with me. I was waiting on him and I'm like, I'm just going to go ahead and putt. And it's kind of drizzling on us, and I just I hit the putt, and I'm, it's breaking, and I'm like looking. It's like six feet out, and I turn to my cousin, I'm like Stone, I think it just made it, and I'm looking at it, and it just hits the flag stick and goes in, and I'm like, and I I went to nine under. Same thing on the next hole. I'm like, I, I literally I hit three wood down there, hit 110 yard. I can I remember playing his day, hit in there like 10 feet, rolled in the 10 footer, I went to 10 under. Dude, uh, that I, I I'm smiling hearing you tell this story like that's awesome i put I, and 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 then i was like at at that moment right when i made that putt i'm walking to the um the 16th hole and i'm like i'm about to go to the u.s amateur and then i have to i on this on the 16th tee it's a hard it's a hard par three it's like 210 yards tucked pin can't miss it right can't miss it left can't miss it short and you, you literally have to hit the green to make a three or a two. If you miss the green, you're probably going to make a four. And I have to stop myself on that tee. I, I am juiced up. I am, I am ready to go. Um, it's like 210. I need to land it like 195. And I'm like, okay, that's right in between six iron and seven iron. And I'm like, okay, it's not even in between just because how much adrenaline I have. And I just – I smoke a seven iron. I have to stop myself. I'm like, focus on the shot. Focus on what you need to do. And lock in and let's go. I hit seven iron to 20 feet right of the hole and I two putt for par. And I'm like, that's the greatest, greatest mental reset, greatest execution, and the greatest feeling ever just walking off that hole with par. Because I had 17, which is a par five. And I hit driver. I hit three. Uh, I hit two iron, short right of the green. I, I nip one up there to like four feet and I make it. I go to 11 under. I know I, I have him by one. And uh, there's a official following me and he's looking at what Parker posted because he's a, they're about to post this score. And he's like, hey, he just posted 10 under. And I, I literally just made that putt to go to a, a 11 under. And 18 is a tough driving hole. Can't, couldn't miss it left or it's going to the hazard. Even Anything like left center of the fairway, it might run down into the hazard. And I just smoke a uh, just smoke a driver down the right side, hit hit nine iron up there like twenty feet and tap it in for a par. And walking off that green, it was like I had like people waiting for me on the green because I heard I had made eagle and made birdie, so they're like waiting for me on the green, all my buddies, and they're like, "Dude, did you shoot 11? And I was like, "Yeah, I birdied 17." And we're all we're just hugging. I immediately call my dad. Uh, I call my dad. I texted my dad right when I got off the course because I was I was immediately looking at the scores. I texted my dad. I said I fucking won. I did. <laughs> he sends awesome. me back. He he sends back what? <laughs> and immediately I don't even have a chance to reply. And he calls me. And and in that moment it was like a, a it was the I did it phase almost like because I had always. I hadn't had that breakthrough moment of I can do I, I can do what I want 
I can do what I've been dreaming of being able to do. I hadn't had that moment of I can do it, you know, and <clears throat> that qualifier was I can do it. And I told my dad, I was like, I, I can do it. And he was always he was he, he presses on me still. Hey, talk to somebody about the mental side. Check. Have somebody check on your swing. And I'm, I was always a self-diagnose. I never wanted to. Not that I don't want to see anybody. It was just like I want to figure it out myself. I'm. I want to learn it. And I want to get better. And that's how I'm going to get better is doing it by myself. And I. That kind of proved, I can do this by myself. But I'm not. I'm not a soul. I'm not doing it as. I'm not. It's not my mission to do it by myself. If that makes sense. Yeah. It was yeah. kind of like that self self gratitude, and. And then going into the AM, I was like, dude, I've already, I've, I've already done the hard part. I've already gotten here. Why don't you just go play, go have fun. And I was fortunate enough to have the best caddy ever. And which he's actually going to caddy for me in the next AM in uh, New Jersey coming up this summer. Um, he was great on the bag. We, our energy was just the same. And, uh, I mean, I shot, I shot two under my first round in the, um, stroke play qualifying. And I mean, we hugged each other. It was like, we hugged each other. And we were like, dude, you got this. And he told me, he's like, all you need is, he's like, you can shoot three over four over tomorrow and you're in. <clears throat> all right. I don't want to get, I don't want to get too far ahead because listen, if okay. you're cool with this, I, I, I would literally love to turn this into a series because yeah. okay, I, I, we can, I, you know, I got so many questions about the USAM. Yeah. yeah. That, that's and that. You know, goes without. Now. I can just sit here. I can just go. Yeah. And I, I, I think, you know, I think it would be awesome breaking up into like three or four episodes because, uh, you know, I would love to hear about the rest of the season, how it's going, future plans, uh, yeah, the USAM, sure. talking about golf and tattoos. But before I get you out of here, I want to ask you one question. Tell me about your bio picture that's on the Sam Houston website now. <laughs> my, my portrait photo with my hair? Your portrait photo with your hair. Hey, every oh. other picture... You got kind of that that slick back golfer hair, look like you could play on any course in America, and then, I, I you know knowing your personality now and, and and getting to know you a little bit, I I get it now, I get it, I love it. It it kind of it, it was all kind of stemmed off of really since you you kind of reached out to me, let's do a let's do a tattoos and golfer podcast, and I was like. Heck yeah. And I, it's kind of, I, I, it was almost like I kept myself in a shell. Um, kind of put on a face of this is what I am. And then once I got the tattoo and once I kind of got out there a little bit, it was like, <clears throat> once I figured out, like, nobody really cares. I don't care what people think. Uh, it, it It's so much less stressful. I can go out and play. I can go out and be a lot better and, better i can better myself and eliminating that stress so yeah the uh the tattoo and then i think the the whole the look was just kind of the i'm doing what i want to do and i i went in and i literally got a haircut the day before and was like i, I don't really know what to do with my hair so i'm just gonna do whatever it wants to do so i I threw some product in it, got it kind of moving in some certain ways, and I just ran my hands through it and was like, all right, let's take a photo. I don't care. You love I, don't, it. I don't care I, that I, people I, go I, on I, it and look. They're like, oh, who is this guy? <laughs> look at this kid. And then they read up on me, and they're like, oh, he's actually pretty good. You know? I, lo I love breaking perceptions. Exactly. You know I mean, I love – I just – I'm infatuated and literally in love with people that just cannot be fit into a box. I love the, I love the perception is not reality. Yes. Yes. And no, we it's use that we fantastic. use that here too. Perception is perception is not reality. Two perceptions are not one reality. So, or there's only one true reality, and two perceptions do not lead to one reality. So it's, I think that's the kind of the whole thing is like to. I mean, 
perfect example today. It's 35 degrees and everybody's out there in like um, thermal underwear under their pants, golf pants, shirt, golf shirt, pullover, quarter zips, beanies, yada, yada, yada. Look in the part, right? Not saying that I not saying that I used to, I used to do that. That used to be me. And but now I'm like all the okay, perfect example, all the pants that I wore at the USAM, those were bought five dollars at a goodwill. Every pant that I own, really, that aren't team issue pants, I bought them at Goodwill just because they fit good. I like them. I like the color. And I don't care. And I don't care. I, I tell people. They're like, where'd you get those pants? I'm like, sure enough, I bought them at $5 at Goodwill. And they're like, oh, nice. <laughs> I love it. Hey, and I love a, I love a good deal just as much as the next person. And, and I, I don't, yeah, who doesn't? And I literally, I, I have two pairs of pants that I bought at a Goodwill like a year ago. One of them, they're, they're mil- military-issue pants that somebody gave, that somebody donated. And they're camo. I, I don't wear them out in public a lot because I honestly don't want people thinking I was in the military. But um, I have another pair. They're they're navy blue and they're they're navy PT pants, physical training pants for when they're running on the beach and it's forty degrees, and they block all wind. They block they're they're li- they're fleece lined, and they're comfortable. They look like '80s parachute pants, but I don't care. They're warm. So that's literally all I wore today. I wore the parachute pants. I call them my parachute pants. I wore my parachute pants, a t-shirt with a hoodie over it. And then I wore a crew neck jacket over my hoodie and just popped the hood on. And then when it got really windy, I just threw the windbreaker on and I was able to go play. And I only had two or three layers on. I may have looked like a a buffoon, but I was warm. There you go. There you go. And I was out there and I was trying my best. And that's all that matters. I it, I don't care if I go out and I'm catching eyes and I'm making people talk about me. And But if I'm going out and I'm shooting under par every day, there's, there's only one people. There's only one thing that they're going to talk about is how good I'm playing. Perfect. I think that's the perfect note to end on. Grayson, uh, I, first off, I can't wait to have you back. I appreciate so much of your time. I know you had a super long day. Uh, miserable day out of practice, uh, cold, rainy, wet. So I greatly appreciate you taking the time out, talk to myself and, and the rest of the audience here. Hey, I, I can't wait to be back. I mean, as you can, as you can tell, I, I can go on for hours about everything about, I mean, I want to, I want to dive in. I want to dive into about mindset on the golf course more. I want to dive into more about tattoos. I want to dive into more about, kind of the story going into the USAM going at exactly what you said, playing in playing four man at regionals where we lost two guys due to COVID. So we had to play four count four and we went from sixth to fourth and made it through regionals, beating Baylor and Alabama and all those schools and ended up was three shots out of match play at the national championship for the, I mean, unprecedented Sam Houston golf national championship appearance. And we were, we were one one place away out of uh, match play. All right, perfect. Well, don't give too much away. We got to let the listeners hang on for the next episode. You gotta you gotta want to you gotta make them want to listen to something though. That's yeah. true. That's true. All right, people. So either get busy golfing or get busy dying. <laughs>